Chapter 23 of Stormy, Misty's Foal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stormy, Misty's Foal by Marguerite Henry. Dress Rehearsal. It was unanimous. The town council, the firemen, the ladies' auxiliary, Preacher Britton, and of course the postmaster. Everyone approved the name Stormy. Stormy, they said, was the one good thing to come out of the storm. News of the Misty Disaster Fund swept the eastern shore. Theater owners all up and down the coast wanted to present the famous ponies on their mission of mercy. Now that Paul and Maureen had agreed to a tryout, they entered into the project with enthusiasm. It's got to be good, Paul kept repeating. If children are going to spend their allowance money, they're entitled to a real show. Why, Paul, the movie of Misty is a beautiful show, Maureen said in a hurt tone. Sure it is, but lots of folks have seen it. What they want now is to see Misty herself and Little Stormy. Even the mayor says so. The performance in the big city of Richmond was scheduled for a week from Saturday. That left only ten days to do a million things, big and little. They scrubbed Misty's step stool and gave it a fresh coat of paint, bright blue. And the moment it was dry, and a dozen times each day, they made her step up on it and shake hands vigorously, just for practice. Often while she shook hands, Stormy nursed her. Makes Misty seem ambidextrous, Paul said. Grandpa chortled. Reckon you could call it that. I swan, the way that gal shakes hands on the slightest excuse, it looks like she's campaigning. She is, Maureen said. She's campaigning for the Missy Disaster Fund. Maureen, you go get my nippers, Grandpa ordered. I better trim them hoofs. She's shaking hands so high, she's liable to plant her hoofograph on some little yunker's head. As for Stormy... Working on her was a pure joy. Every night after school, Paul and Maureen curried and combed her, not to make her less fuzzy, but to get her used to something besides Misty's tongue. And gradually they hauled her broker. Of course, there wasn't a halter anywhere on the island, or even in Horntown or Pocomoke, tiny enough to fit. Paul had to make one out of wiki rope, just as he had done for Misty when she was a baby. And after a little urging, Grandma gave up her favorite piece of chest flannel to wrap around the noseband of the halter. Just feel of it now, Grandma, Paul exclaimed. It's as soft as the lamb's wool they use for racehorse colts. Don't need to feel it, I know, Grandma said dryly. Stormy accepted the halter with only a little head tossing. Occasionally, as she was being led about, she turned to gaze at Skipper and the kid as much as to say, Hey you, why can you two run free? For answer, they blatted and barked and dared her to join in the fun. But Misty wouldn't let her. When they came too close, she leaped at them, lashing out with her forefeet, head low, teeth bared. They quickly got the message, scattered in panic, and stayed away for hours. As Saturday approached, everything was ready except the old truck. How ugly and drab it seemed for a movie star and her filly. 
It needed paint and polish and a new floor and a new top. But there was no money and no time to do anything about it. Then late on Friday, just before darkness closed in, Mr. Hancock arrived looking pleased as a boy. He took a long bundle from his car and, with a proud flourish, unrolled two enormous pieces of canvas. On each, he had painted a life-size picture of Misty and Stormy. To cover the sides of your truck, he said proudly. I want the folks in Richmond to know that us chinkateekers do things upright. Now even the truck was resplendent and gay. By six o'clock the next morning, chores were done and Grandpa and the children were loading up the truck. Grandma and Skipper, Nanny and the kid were clustered about watching as Misty walked up the ramp in eager anticipation. She could smell the sweet hay aboard and the juicy slices of delicious apple tucked here and there. Little Stormy skidded along after her, with Paul and Maureen on either side, arms spread-eagled to keep her from falling off. I feel so left behind, Grandma said, folding and unfolding her hands in her apron. Like a, well, like a colt that's being weaned. Grandpa was about to break into laughter, but when he saw Grandma's woebegone face, he came over to her, his voice full of tenderness. Tidal life's flowing normal again, eh, Heidi? The going out and the coming in. Sure, Grandma, Maureen said, and we'll be home before dark. And hungry as bears, added Paul. Grandma blinked hard. I reckon the storms brought us so close, I hate to lose sight of you, even for a day. Big tears began running down her face. Heidi, Grandpa bellowed, you come with us. Call up them auxiliary ladies and tell them you can't sew on the children's band uniforms today. What if the old ones did float out to sea? Tell the kids to play in their birthday suits. Tell them anything. Tell them we can't load and unload the ponies without your help. Suddenly the tension was gone. Grandma wiped her eyes with a corner of her apron and began laughing at the thought of her lifting the ponies. Now be off with you. I can't stand out here all day. I got a pile of work to do. But as the truck swung out of the drive, she didn't go into the house. Her eyes followed it to the road as she continued wrapping and unwrapping her arms in her apron. Then suddenly she took off the apron and waved goodbye. Paul turned and waved back. He could see Grandma growing smaller and farther away, standing in front of the sign that said, Misty's Meadow. And even while he was feeling sorry for her, having to do up the dishes and go to the ladies' auxiliary and all, his mind raced ahead to Richmond. In sudden panic, he wondered, would there be anyone at the theater at all? Maybe the day was too nice, and children would be shooting marbles and flying kites and playing baseball, and they had seen the movie anyway. End of chapter 23